So, uh, can everybody hear me okay? Okay, let's hope it continues. <laughs> so, thank you. Um, so, this evening, I'd like to offer some reflections on the theme of right speech. Um, so, um, maybe um, we we could begin by uh, acknowledging or considering the uh, power of of speech to hurt or help and now, when I reflect in that way, I, I can feel that it kind of encourages and inspires me to uh, to explore this, uh, to understand, to practice um, with speech. Um, very, very challenging, very challenging area of our experience to to really bring a full sense of awareness and you know, wisdom to that. Um, but to really, so maybe now or another time is like to really reflect on the maybe times when we've been hurt by words or been really helped by words, you know, that they can you know, make a tremendous difference, can't they, in the world. And we see this in our personal life, in our political life, and the enormous amount of suffering that can come uh, from certain kinds of, of speech. And um, so the Buddha want to share some of the teachings uh, he gave said a single wise word bringing peace to the listener is worth more than a thousand speeches full of empty words um, so maybe sometimes you know we can be in our life with our friends uh, with our communities now maybe we can aspire to be you know, uh, that might be possible for us to utter a wise word that would bring peace to the listener. And part of the, isn't it, the, the Buddha's genius in, in laying out the Eightfold Path and how all the different elements and the aspects of our practice kind of support each other don't they? and how, you know, that the, 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 the interest in and the desire to end suffering, to alleviate suffering in ourselves and others and how you know, this area of our life, our experience, this area of the path of of finding finding for ourselves, finding out for ourselves how speech, particularly our own speech, but maybe we also learn from others, how how does that actually work? How does speech um, how, how how does it function, or how, where does it come from when it's um, helping, when it's actually alleviating suffering, or you know, illuminating something in a helpful way, or you know, it's this um, sense that the practice of wise wise speech is a liberating practice, that in in undertaking the you know, the cultivation of, 
wise speech and the abandonment of unwise speech, we are actually undermining the uh, the forces of greed and hatred and delusion. You know, this is this is uh, you know part of our direct path to actually aspire for our, our our speech to spring from mindfulness and wisdom um, so i wanted to share with you um just to get us in the in the ballpark so what is the buddha actually saying what what is he actually pointing to um and then perhaps I'll kind of will explore a few aspects of, of this. So the Buddha, and this is, I, I spent some time looking into different suttas and just kind of trying to gather together some of the, the different things that are in the discourses. And so this little summary I came up with of the Buddha advising us to cultivate and just to listen, just to... Um, kind of take in uh, what what is being pointed to here. So he advised speech that is about the Dhamma, that promotes harmony and friendship, that is true, useful, timely, brings peace, is connected with metta, is gentle, compassionate, beneficial, avoids self-praise or censure of others, is unhurried, leads to wholesome states, goes to the heart, is courteous, agreeable to many, irrelevant to contentment, seclusion, energy, virtue, concentration, wisdom, and deliverance. Yeah, so there's the... That, that, that actually speaking in these, wa- in these ways that are suggested is, is directly supportive of our, you know, of our meditative path. I also feel moved to add from another place where it's also included in the advice on cultivation that it's also, as well as it being true, useful, timely and based in kindness, it may sometimes, it may sometimes, or oh, what's the, sorry, what is somewhere, um, it may be pleasing or displeasing, right? This really important part of this somehow that it's not it, it can sometimes be that which challenges ourselves or challenges another person or that which is difficult to say or difficult to hear but if it's true useful timely and based in kindness you know then that that's for me part of the part of the the yeah part of this this practice that we um, that it actually frees us um, to be able to speak uh, when it's difficult or about that which is difficult. Mm. So he advises us to abandon. So you have this, don't you? You have this kind of sense of what we're encouraging and then what we're kind of letting go of so he advises to abandon speech that is untrue idle uh, malicious divisive concerned with personal gain connected with inner hate low vulgar coarse ignoble unbeneficial pointless that leads to unwholesome states, is rough, hard, hurtful, offensive, 
hurried, or conducive to conflict. And so, yeah, it's just to see this very, very direct, isn't it? This very direct consequence of the suffering for ourselves and others that comes from comes from speech when it's of that second kind. But there's something, I don't know if I can be clear about this, what was emerging to me today, that that's if we, it's important not to kind of take this as, right, got to do this and not that, oh dear, you know. It's something more, um, maybe a way of, of, of seeing it that maybe feels more helpful for me, is something that this is about actually um, freeing our speech. It's actually liberating that human capacity which can have such beneficial effects, so so much connection and creativity and care and generosity. And it's almost like I get the sense that if we by cultivating white, right speech or this wise, caring speech, and then actually trusting that. It's actually freeing up our, our, our sort of communicated, communicative kind of world. And maybe we're not quite so worried about saying the wrong thing and because we, you know, we're, we're more trusting in that training in that uh, intention to have speech come from uh, yeah from from our care from what um, from what we know from what we at least partially understand so does that I don't know if that, that for me that feels like a very different kind of more opening more encouraging kind of exploration that it's actually freeing us up to be able to speak because i think you know many of us i want to speak a bit more about this later on but this uh, conditioning around you know not speaking or really limiting our speech out of the fear of offending or um getting it wrong or you know which is I think on one level it's so um it's just kind of normal natural part of human sentient mammalian you know uh, situation predicament um where our and then our speech faculty sort of gets kind of involved in that you know survival concern and you know the whole way in which speech is such a such a powerful way that we feel like we belong or we fit in or others are accepting us or understanding us and so we lean perhaps quite heavily on speech to mm, feel okay or make sure you know I'm kind of I'm I belong I'm I'm, I'm part of this or yeah also the other way feeling excluded or you know so so to me I don't know if that I hope that makes some sense that the the speech is really connected with these quite sort of instinctual kind of concerns um so um I wanted to just uh, share a little teaching story which um, I really love and I hope I can remember it properly because I couldn't find the text but it, um, it's just a little story that I love and I, I think it stands for this whole talk so again if you just listen to this bit that's probably the whole talk and it's, it's, the, it's a story this, right, do my best to this so there was somewhere, some time ago, I think somewhere in Europe, um, there, were, there was a very wise rabbi. And uh, he had some students, and the students would um, 
be invited to um, gather and maybe once a week have a, a meal with the rabbi. And it was a special occasion. They got to go and sit with this wonderful, wise, loving being and um, and sit together and engage in erudite and wise conversation um, of some kind. And so one, one evening they were having their meal and this very uncouth, local, untaught, um, uncouth character comes in, bearing radishes, and uh, proceeds to sit down at the table with the very serious and very erudite and very devout students and proceed to take a knife and cut up the radishes and then eat them in a very loud, crunching, smacking of lips kind of way. And the students are all looking at the uncouth radish eater with looks to silence him. How dare he indulge in such uncouth behavior in front of their beloved master. So, and the master, the rabbi, is, is, you know, is noticing what's going on. And then, just gently, at some point, leans forward and says, Oh, do you know, I could, I just feel like a really good radish. Does anybody know where they could get me one? And with a flush of joy and happiness, the radish eater gathers up some of the pieces he's cut and passes it to the rabbi. That's the story. Did okay, didn't I, in that one? I was <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful story? You know, and so that's what it's, that's what it's about. So you go to sleep now, if you want. <laughs> um, you know, because we have these um, you know, ideas, but there's something there, isn't there, about just speaking from from care through a lot of complexity and uh, yeah. Anyway, so what um, what helps us? Those are just a few things, the thoughts that I've had just this week. Um, to share about what I don't know this part, what can support this this cultivation, and um, one uh, factor that is is so, so crucial in our life, in our practice, and, and is courage, courage. So, in terms of saying what's difficult, I wanted to share just something that happened a number of years ago, but but was a very, very important moment where I had been in kind of some kind of really negative, conflicted, I don't like you, she didn't like me, and I'm not going to give in, and it's your fault, and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, (laughs) it's just, you know, have you ever been in one of those? (laughs) And, you you know, and this is in a good old Buddhist community, you know, it's like, oh dear, um, and just sort of that feeling of being locked in to, to something, and I'm not going to, you know, I know it's her fault, I'm not going to. And at some point, I think it was, this had been going on for a while, and uh, it was really unpleasant. And, and I think it was, it was coming to some point where I was going away, I was going on retreat, and there was this moment where I just thought, this is, I can't, this is, I can't, I can't go on with this. So, I suggested we go upstairs and we sat in this room and I remember we just sat down together, looked at each other and I just looked at her and said, I'm sorry and burst into tears <laughs> and she was completely shocked. It was so interesting. My And then we had this whole conversation and, you know, I don't think we were ever really best friends but it just really, it, it, the whole thing shifted and we were able to more um, just collaborate and be around each other in a more friendly way. And it was like, I was talking about this with somebody today, you just got this fixed 
kind of thing. Like, what is that? An idea about them and this thing is like, I'm not going to, to actually um, change it. Somehow it, I have to, um, <laughs> well, look, I have to be able to kind of let go of my, of something. What is that? Of my need to be right. <laughs> it often comes down to that, doesn't it? It often comes down to that. There's so much, so much invested in that. Got to be right. So just, and um, yeah, how how difficult that was and how, 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 how bad it had to get <laughs> before it. But yeah, so to have the daring, the courage to turn, it's that principle of, I think, turning to, isn't it, turning to face what's difficult with, I don't know, sort of a wish to bring some care or to, to, to change it in a positive manner. So another, um, you know, kind of obvious practice to support us with this sometimes very challenging thing is this mindfulness of mind states that I was talking about. Um, was that last week? Was it yesterday? Anyway, yesterday, <laughs> some time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wanted to share with you, I shared this with one person. But you probably all know this as well, that if you can if you can actually know and be mindful of even quite strong states of mind, you have much more possibility of, of, of speaking wisely or restraining yourself. So all our practice here, I think, is so relevant, is so directly relevant and will support us, you know, when 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 speech becomes necessary or uh helpful so i just i wanted to share i wanted to share this i was going to share it yesterday so you get it now instead from the the wonderful tichnat han treat your anger with the utmost respect and tenderness for it is no other than yourself do not suppress it Simply be aware of it. Awareness is like the sun. When it shines on things, they are transformed. When you are aware that you are angry, your anger is transformed. If you destroy anger, you destroy the Buddha. For Buddha and Mara are of the same essence. Mindfully dealing with anger is like taking the hand of a little brother. So, um, let's see. Hmm. Yeah, so maybe um, talk a bit about um, investigating what what conditions our speaking, what both presently, you know, if you like right now as we're speaking or, and also from conditioning from the past, maybe from our families or our, um, yeah, our cultural background, our linguistic background, um, from our education, uh, from work, maybe work places, work demands, and to actually understand how um, reward and punishment is kind of that would be one inquiry that I would I would try and make in 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 uh, in investigating speech is what am I trying to get or what what reward or gain yeah am, am i looking for and what punishment do i fear 
you know so so gotta speak God right now gotta be clever give a really great dharma talk you know and so that i know and and how how easy it is for say the intentions of sort of caring or sharing or whatever support can so easily get I don't know kind of like sat on or blocked or interrupted by these other these other kind of agenda if that's sort of agendas so I can recognize from my own condition and maybe you a very important one for me to name from my background is that I I grew up for a while in a, in a household um, where really I, I was taught to not speak. You know, it's like just don't say anything. That's really, you know, kind of the best thing most of the time, right? Yeah. It's funny, I, then what do I end up doing now? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, you know, what, what's, what we're still carrying with us after whatever, 40, 50, 60 years, about what, what messages we kind of internalized, you know, from school or from wherever about, no, you shut up, you sit there, and you do what you're told, and you, are, you, you speak when, you, when you're spoken to. So, mm. so what, in a way, maybe the, the exploration is like, you know, I mean, I'm speaking right now, but, you know, when, when you're speaking, I was like, what's the problem here? <laughs> you know, if, if maybe there's the speaking and then there's not that sense of just ease, it's just, Okay, no big deal. It's like, so if that's not the case, then what's happening? In a way, it's another, it's this great arena for the investigation of the hindrances. And, you know, that you can also have these, like, talking or speech can be like this ongoing multiple hindrance attack. You know, it's like you're talking, you're trying to get something, and then you're trying to defend something, and then you're really confused, you're not sure what you're saying, you know, or then you just fall asleep as you're speaking, <laughs> and then you suddenly wake up and you're very agitated, <laughs> you know, because you realize you fell asleep, and all the while words, you just keep talking, keep talking, keep, or maybe if I keep talking, you won't notice I'm here, I'll just keep saying something, <laughs> right? The smoke screen effect, it's just, and it's, it's something we probably see in others more easily than we see in ourselves. Do you see? Do you see that in other people? Do you see them, or you you feel them talking to you, and you can sort of feel something that maybe they're not aware of. That um, you know, maybe they are. They're trying to defend themselves, or look big, or look small, or. <laughs> And and something about the power of listening, and I'll say a bit more about that later maybe, but just, I have a sense that sometimes our, also our training for speech and helping others with speech is, I try and practice is to listen, I'm trying to do it now actually as I'm speaking, is to listen, to listen wide, to listen deep, to listen through. Right, so whatever words are spewing out and or c- coming at you or coming at me, so it's always the person, the situation, myself. It's always somehow, it's always bigger than what's going on. Or I don't know. I'm th- I'm not articulating this very clearly, but it's. Um, Letting, almost letting the talking, letting the speaking, letting the words that are you're hearing or the words that I'm speaking, they're just empty phenomena rolling on. <laughs> you know, where, what on earth is this like, you know, how we inquire into our thoughts, like what is a thought, you know? It's the same with words, isn't it? It's like, where are these words coming from? Where are they going? 
you know it's like in this it feels in in this culture or these these cultures or these to some parts of this big situation we're all in in the world there's such an over over emphasis over valuing of this speech you know words like what so maybe it's that sense of bringing the wisdom bringing the seeing like what is a sound isn't it mm, hearing sound something's happening in your ear it's happening in my ear and then there's meaning isn't there that's the other really big part of it the meaning and the chitter resonating something or something you know maybe annoyance or confusion or Agree, disagree, something. So maybe part of wise speech is being able to, if if we can more and more practice and train in allowing it to, to be true, useful, timely, and based in kindness, it's almost like you can just let it happen, let it arise and pass, you know, kind of not so much residue, not so much oh dear, and well, I wish I hadn't said that, and you know, all that kind of thing that we don't then carry around. Um, yeah. So uh, another lovely practice, I heard this in a talk by Joseph, I hope it's okay to, to borrow it. Um, it's a wait, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I do like that. Wait. I mean, yeah, so... Hmm. Getting to know, again, it's this what I'm po pointing to about really getting to know the impulse, the, the urge, the drive, the kind of what can, what can be there. And even if that is there, like, I, you know, I can feel that as I talk, certain amount of edge. And, but there's also that sense that the caring or the wish to just share and that it be useful kind of can kind of kind of goes through that or over that or around that hopefully somehow at least to some degree <laughs> so who am I trying to be this is uh, Kevin Griffin this is so who am I creating with my words so we could say it could be we could be trying to create another or a self so trying to be what? Okay, look good, sound wise. <laughs> you know, to know, know your tendencies. I, this is so, because it's going to be different for all of us to some degree, isn't it? Sort of, oh, you know, I know I have a tendency to be sort of um, put myself down or something is almost in a humorous way and so I have to be very careful to try and be very aware of that maybe it's has some helpful function even even some of our bad habits maybe because if we didn't if if we if we just try and be perfect before we speak we'll probably never speak ever again so you know whether we're talking about difficult things with our friends or family or, you know, about racism or politics or things that have to be engaged with, like to, to take the risk, to have the courage to make mistakes and to get it wrong. Because just otherwise we just stay circling, don't we, as individuals or as a society, we just stay kind of caught in this sort of eddy of, 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 of delusion and... Yeah. So I wanted to share again in this regard um, a teaching from Gregory Kramer from his wonderful book um, Insight Dialogue. 
practice that maybe some of you know and engage in, um, one way of, of maybe helping this training to bring this speech uh, experience more, you know, really into into our practice. And he has a way uh, of naming the 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 craving, the three kinds of craving, and sort of seeing that in an into how it happens interpersonally, so interactionally in as we relating to each other. And of course, as you well know, this is happening all the time when you're on retreat, <laughs> even though you're not talking to each other very much. So, you know, you can really, it's like to see how some of the the relational disturbance, you know, how that happens. You like this person, you don't like that one, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like this is all all that awareness is 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 what is um really help it will really help uh it will really help this this training in wise speech because we we can be more aware of how we're reacting, how we're seeing another person, the kind of perceptions, the ideas we have. And they still happen, but we see and know them. So our speech doesn't have to be so directed and governed by them, right? I had this silly image. I wasn't sure whether it would be helpful, but I'll, I'll try to share it anyway. It's like I was once on this walk in Devon near Guy House in southwestern England and um, you know one of those moments where you look up and you see something really strange and I thought I saw a horse on a hedge and for a moment I thought I'm going nuts I'm like I'm hallucinating or there's some weird horse hedge thing going on I don't and then I looked again and just in a you know a moment and then oh the horse is in the field beyond the hedge <sighs> right <laughs> so oh okay i'm not going crazy here but i think i don't know maybe this doesn't work but are, i i it goes back to this sense of how we see people you know are we looking at people and actually we think we're seeing a horse on a hedge that is not the case. <laughs> the horse is in the field. So we might come and say, horse, get off that hedge. What do you think you're doing up there? You should be in the field. But it's based on an inaccurate perception. Right? And aren't we doing that to each other so much of the time? And doesn't it? It's just extraordinary. And I know, because I've had encounters with some of you here, it's like when you sit together in a group or one-to-one, -one, and you just like... You just give space and you just meet each other and you just like, oh, hi. Yeah. And there's, there's sort of room for freshness and, and I, you know, like say I meet with you and I try to be like, well, I know that's what happened last week, but who knows? You know, what's going to happen now? So it's a great training, you know, and probably those of you know, you know, if you teach or you sit with people in different ways, it's a great training for this. Of, of, and what kind of speech emerges from you or from me or when you're actually in that open space? You know, it's quite amazing, quite amazing. And how, you know, can't we, can we find ways of, of maybe finding doing that a bit more in our life? So I just, I will name these three interpersonal cravings. Um, the craving to, the first craving, kamatanha, the craving for sense pleasure. He translates it into, into an interpersonal situation. The need for pleasant stimulation by others. <laughs> we all... Again, this is we all do this. We all, but isn't it amazing? You come on retreat, and maybe part of the journey of that practice can be for many of us. I think of beginning to realize we can be okay 
without getting so much of that pleasant stimulation by others, you know, that confirmation, yeah, you're okay, you're fine, you're, yeah, hi, you exist, <laughs> you're, all right. you're okay. It's like, oh, finding a sort of maybe more basic sense of, yeah, and not needing so much of that pleasant stimulation, not so dependent on it. And what a wonderful way that is then we can disemburden, if that's a word, unburden our relationships, right? Unburden other people from the responsibility to make us feel okay, right? Just wow. Then we can just more enjoy and give and hang out with and it's like, it's not loaded up with all this I've got to get and I need and all this. It's not, and again, it's there's a balance, isn't there? It's not saying we don't, we all need some of this. But if it's driven by an unacknowledged fear of loneliness, then it's never, it's never going to satisfy. So the second one, um, bhavatanha, you know, the, the thirst or the, 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 the hunger to, to be, to become, to be, to be seen. Look, I'm here, I exist. Yes. And <laughs> you get that from other people. Again, it's this, I want you to see me so that I know I exist, as if I didn't exist. Right? So maybe again, we can, on retreat, we have part of the one opportunity there is, is of, oh, just maybe gradually, little by little, or like, oh, we, we uh, um, just here, I don't need to do all that uh, stuff to, you know, to be seen, to be seen as good or best or great or okay. And what can drive that is the fear of invisibility. The fear like, do you know this? I, I'm sure we all have our own, you know, kind of, like, if I'm not, you know, getting some confirmation that I'm here, then the fear is I don't exist at all. You know, the fear that maybe that's one way of describing the, the fear of annihilation or the fear of like when I don't have a really distinct like me, yeah, you know, I'm here. Then there's this fear of a void, vacuity, not existing somehow. And that can feel very frightening. But again, in retreat, we can begin to taste perhaps the joy and the peace of not having to be anyone. And the third one, the vibhavatanha, the uh, desire to uh, get away from or the desire for non-existence in an interpersonal way is like that need or the, uh, to, to, to not be in relationship. Like to, no, no, escape. Don't really want to be in connection. Thank you very much. No, I'll just go over there. <laughs> and the fear that's sort of connected with that, the fear of being seen, right? The, just the fear of being seen. So maybe you recognize some of yourself in all that. I certainly do. And I also recognize a kind of particular, um, you know, strong vibhava tendency. And so to just, like I can feel it now because in giving the talk, it's, it's kind of that sense of, you know, some of these things you can get, get into conflict. Like I don't want you to see me, but I want to be helpful. Like, okay. Um, how does that work? <laughs> no, it's like, it doesn't really work, does it? Hmm. Um, I just maybe you have your own versions of this. Sometimes you know you really want to share, and you're like, yeah. And then another bit of you is, no, 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 I don't want to share anything. Um, I saw I had this sense a bit like when we so often when we're in interact interactional interpersonal things, it, it, it can feel like you get like. Uh, 
like you're putting your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Does that, that for me that's and there's almost a feeling of conflict or tension or like oh, I really want to buy a car. And then I don't know if you have this tendency. I do sometimes. You know, you take the foot off the brake and then you just go. <laughs> And all this stuff comes spewing out. It's like, you know. So maybe uh, what was happening the other way around? You take your foot off the gas, and you just like, just can't breathe. (laughs) So neither way, you know. But again, can we we can have compassion and, and patience, and just yeah, maybe a sense of humor with this strange and difficult area of our practice and so yeah really you know the opportunities that we have on retreat um ah right hmm so i'll 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 start to hmm So maybe just a couple of other points before I kind of bring this to a close. Um, one is the, I mean, I've already touched on it really, is but this, this sense of listening, that if we can listen as we speak, we will have much more chance of speaking in ways that are actually uh, for our benefit, for the benefit of others and conducive to Nibbana, to release, you know, to, the, to the ending of our suffering and stress. You know, to listen which is, in a way, I feel like it's really what that is, is mindfulness, in a way. It's not really anything else. It's being fully, fully present, being uh, open, being, well, listening, listening, listening to our own craziness, you know, listening, listening to the other craziness. <laughs> Um, my my teacher Christina Feldman, she said, "Meaningful, clear, and effective speech is born of our capacity to be at ease in silence. Compassionate, wise, and kind speech grows from our ability to listen silently to each other." So reminded of a story about um, Mother Teresa being talking about her prayer life and somebody was asking her how she prayed and she said, Well, hope I get the hope I'm I'm not I hope I get this right. I, I just listen. Really I listen to God. And she says, Oh, and, and what does God say? And she says and he just listens. So beautiful, something, something very beautiful, profound in that. So as I was saying yesterday, you know, in terms of listening to ourselves, how are you, my dear friend? I'm listening. So as we go through our retreat, as we, as we, as we. Um, uh, practice and learn to to listen to listen to ourselves. We are practicing a key condition for the arising of right speech, and um, I think it's, it's it's really worth making that connection with our deep retreat practice and just seeing that that really it is the soil from which the wise speech will grow 
And the last piece I wanted to share, I um, hope this isn't turning into thousands of speeches full of empty words, is something about bringing in, uh, again, just for you as a practice, you might pick up on this, um, a sense of the uh, fragility, the fleeting, fleetingness, the anicca, the impermanence, the the flux and the, and the inevitability of death. Since death is certain and the time of death is uncertain, what shall I say? Yeah. Since death is certain and the time of death uncertain, what shall I say? So I really, really appreciate your listening and um, appreciate your patience with me and appreciate your willingness to be here and to engage in this, in this practice for your own benefit and the benefit of others. And I'll just finish by sharing this short poem, beautiful poem, another way in which words have certainly helped me uh, over the years. It's a poem by Mark Nepo. And then I will stop. (laughs) Honestly. Having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but being a soft and sturdy home into which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk a while, but then we must listen, the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all the things gone wrong. But then we must lay all distraction down and water every living seed. So thank you. Let's just pause for a moment before we do our chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.